Welcome to Los Compas Lounge, a PSA for brown men. We are your host. I am Raul. This Javier. And this is Ruben. And this is Los Compas Lounge, a podcast by three Chicanos from East L.A. talking about issues that matter to you. We're here to inspire positive change. So have a seat, compa. We have one ready for you here at the lounge. All right, everyone. Um, this is Reuben, Los Compas Lounge. And today we have a special guest. Uh, I have a good compa of mine um, uh, for at least at least two decades now, you know, maybe going on a hundred decades, Gansave, you know, um, uh, I always like to say we're, we're two, we're two brown brothers from a different mother, uh, Fabian Montes. Welcome, my brother. I've been, uh, looking forward to having you on, on the podcast. No, like I said, it's, it's a great honor being in your, in this podcast because I've always, um, I've always thought about, we, we need a, a podcast that speaks our story directly and there's not too many out there. And, and and I don't want to, I think I've always had this mentality of everybody being included, no matter what color you are, or what gender, where, where's your background. But as part of our race, we tend to be made invisible or erased by our own or the others. And and to me, what you guys are doing is 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 great because we need to tell our story. Us, we need to tell our story. And by doing this, is us telling our own story in our own words, um, and deal with with the issues that we that are in our community. So thank you for for having me. It's it's such a great honor to that you're doing this, you know, and and that you guys are doing this you and, and Raul because um it's continues to our voices that we do exist that we're not invisible that we're not docile and that we 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 we're just like whatever you know we're not gonna we're here and that's it we're just workers and that's it now we're we're a bunch of different uh peoples of different walks of life and traditions and educations and the todo, you know, and, and, and I, it's a great, a great honor to be here. Yeah. You know, and, um, you touched upon a couple key things as you know, you mentioned our stories, you know, our stories aren't represented out there, you know, and that's the main reason why, um, we put together this podcast, you know, you know, uh, and, why we have the specific title of uh, Los Compas Lounge, you know, because for for us, it's like a lounge. It's, you know, it's like a place where where homies can just chill, relax. They know it's their spot. They know it's a safe space. And you could just talk, you know, openly and free, you know, and uh, because we can't always do that outside of our lounge, you know, because we, society sort of, pigeonholes us into what they what the dominant society thinks we should be or how we should, or where we should work or how we should talk or this or this or that but you know we're more than just like you mentioned we're more than just workers you know uh we're more than just uh stereotypes that have been generated by by society you know we're you know we're people with our own stories you know uh we're people with our own families and the reason, you know, Raul and I, you know, we're talking for a long time of having you on is, uh, is your story, you know, um, and, you know, how we all seen each other grow and evolve over these last, man, decades, man. And, you know, uh, where we were as, you know, this chamacos, you know, and, you know, and, just, you know, being out there on the streets and then, you know, doing what we were doing and then somewhere along the line sort of fumbling into uh something different you know and sort of like looking back and like wow man you know all this stuff we we're doing you know it's like maybe it's 
it's not the best way to go about life, you know. Um, and uh, gente out there, you know, compas out there, you know, uh, uh, Fabian and I, we have a we have a, a connection, man, because yeah. we take it back to Chuco Town, man. We're you know uh, we're we're both from uh, uh, El Paso del Norte, Texas, you know, uh, the border, Ciudad Juarez, y El Paso, you know, and the. And I, I remember when you first when you first told me that I'm like, wow, man, that's that's pretty feet me. That's pretty cool because uh, you don't always meet a lot. You know, you don't always meet people from from El Paso. You know, uh, but throughout my life, you know what, man, I've met so many people who were either directly from El Paso or their families were you know from from El Paso, man. And it's like, wow, that's cool. And there's like this instant connection you know so uh so yeah man i mean if you could you know talk a little bit about uh about you know wow your experience you know from el paso and then to la it's a a beautiful painful story that i i and being born in el paso and it's interesting my story i was conceived in juarez because my mom Mm -hmm. and most of my family lives in Juarez. And at the time, my mom, my grandma lived in Juarez and they went to school or worked in El Paso, like a lot of raza, the ones that had the papers and the ones that were citizens. Yeah. Yeah. So my part of my family was able yeah. to do that, come and go. On my father's side, they, they it, yeah. it was a, economics. You know, he came from humble, very humble yeah. uh beginnings that yeah. he, he was always undocumented and my mom was a citizen she was born in 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 el paso and and mm-hmm. she just crossed over to have me you know without knowing if they were going to yeah. live in los angeles or el paso nothing they just crossed over to have me just to have mm-hmm. the papers because she she had papers so yeah. that happened yeah. and i always say I was conceived in Mexico, born in El Paso, so and raised in Los Angeles. Because at two years old, they yeah. brought me to LA. So I was yeah. able to be raised in Juarez and LA, which is crazy because I was born in El Paso. I went to school briefly there yeah. for high school. But most of my time was spent in the summers of vacation in Juarez or living in LA. So mm-hmm. I, I sometimes confuse Border yeah. Patrol because they're telling me when I'm crossing, they're like, where are you from? LA. Wait a minute, it says here on your birth certificate, El Paso. Oh, let me explain. I, I'm, I was raised in LA, so I'm, I say I'm from LA, but yeah. my heart is in El Paso because I was born in El Paso, but I was raised in Juarez. So they're like, <laughs> what? Like, so, so it's yeah. typical that. <laughs> our peoples didn't have those border mentalities so we're from everywhere you know no you know because that's the same with uh with my mom you know um my mom she's from she's at Juarez you know uh, and she was born and raised there and and this was you know this was back in about the 40s and 50s where yeah you didn't have the border that you have the border now Era diferente, like you were saying. People can, you know, people lived in 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 Juarez, and uh, they walked or you know rode their bikes or rode their car into into El Paso because you can make better feria. Even though, even though we were getting yeah. paid less than than the white folk, we were still getting paid more than yeah. than our Mexicano you know sisters and brothers you know uh you know, that were our neighbors or, you know, my parents, you know, or, you know, my mom's and, and my, or my, my abuelitos, uh, parents or, or, uh, uh, neighbors. And, you know, they did not want to move to, to, uh, to El Paso, but there was a law that was that, you know, federal law that was going down the pipes that said, Hey, you know, if you want to, if you want to keep on working, uh, cause my, my, my abuelito, he, he worked for the railroad. He was literally the one that was oh, wow. you know, putting down the lines, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, federal law came into place said, Hey, you know, if you want to keep on working for union Pacific, you got to move your ass, you know, to the U S so, 
they reluctantly moved to to El Paso, you know, and um, and they lived in uh, That's where I was Barrio born. Segundo, you know, and yeah, yeah, you know, and but even though they lived lived in in uh, El Paso, most of the time was still spent in Juarez, you know, and I remember, you know, then like you know, take it, you know. You know, uh, you know, 20 years later, you know, you know, when I was born, my father, you know, would take me to, to Juarez, you know, because uh, he would buy his boots there. He would buy his belt, you know, you know, because he would always tell me, you know, everything <laughs> made better in Mexico, mijo. You know, you, you know, yeah, your your mom works for the Levi's factory, pero sabes que? You want to get you want to get the real stuff. You, have, you know, you have to go to, you know, you have to go to uh, Juarez. So, yeah, you know, I remember, you know, making those trips. And even in the 70s, early 70s, from what I remember, I was a kid, you know. But, yeah, they, you know, the Border Patrol, like you said, yeah. they, they weren't so hard. You know, they're like, yeah, you know, go in, go out, whatever. Things have changed. So, yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's funny, like, when you were saying that, you know, it's like, yeah. it was, you know, I was all kinds of memories were, 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 like, flowing through me, man. And, like, you, you know, well, you, you came to L.A., Younger, you know, I, I you know, uh, my mom and my brother and I moved oh, okay. uh, when I was about eight years old, you know. So, you know, so we spent a little more time in El Paso y Juarez, you know. And uh, same thing with you, man. I always get conf not confused, but, you know, it's like when people ask me, uh, you know, what's your hometown? <laughs> I, I had to think about it. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know what? I'm Tejano and I'm from, you know, uh, I'm from I'm from El Paso. But I grew up in L.A., you know, but I also yeah. grew up in El Paso, you know, so, you know, but, I, you know, but just to make things easier for people, I always tell them, you know what, you yeah. know, I'm just another Chicano from East L.A., even yeah, though, like, yeah. you know, it's deeper than that, you know, because the roots go, you know, they, they go across state lines, they, yeah. crow, they go across uh, international lines and everything. Yeah. So, how, how, so what was the, how was the, even though you were younger, you know, but the growing up in LA, you know, uh, cause you mentioned that you would go back to, to what is, you know, uh, every summer, was it every summer? Or? It was, it was, so, it was so how was that? Because it was economics. So when mm -hmm. the reason our mother would, would send me and my other two brothers back to what is was because it was a vacation and it was an amazing, beautiful experience. And it also helped me see that we were poor in Los Angeles. But when I went to see to Juarez and made friends, childhood friends, they were living in poverty. I mean, I, I had shoes and I would go during the summers and my friends didn't have shoes. And I was like, wow, we fucking struggle at home in LA, you know, grew up poor. And I come over here and these guys, I, so it woke me up to see the difference of being an American, being Chicano, and my friends who were just Mexicans with no papers. So I was like, wait a minute, that's fucking crazy. And that began to shape my revolutionary mind. Because I felt, fuck, I could cross over whenever I want, you know, to El Paso or to L.A. And my childhood friends, I couldn't bring them. You know, they were in Juarez. So it, it, it did something. And then the racism on this side, and it just started shaping my mind to see wow it actually helped me change as a person from getting on the bus from LA going all the way to Juarez and going on the bus crossing over different state lines from LA Arizona New Mexico Texas all the way to Mexico it got my mind out of LA mm. And, and, and that's the reason yeah. that well, that was one of the reasons that it helped me get out of gangs because I went into gangs in LA at the age of 12. Yeah. 
And when I reflect today, what helped me get out of the gang mentality was that most gang members don't leave their community because they can't. We were able to go and stay with my grandparents and uncles in Juarez and have a different reality. So that's one of the factors that helped me get out of the neighborhood. I use an example. This is an example because part of my work that I do now, I do a, I'm a human development consultant, but I'm also, I do immigration Mm -hmm. gang. I'm an immigration gang expert, but in the human, I work with a lot of gang members, ex gang members, drug addicts, and basically people like us that grew up in poverty, joined the gang and didn't know how to get out of it. Mm-hmm. So what I yeah. say when I do, because I do a lot of, I do lectures, speeches, and motivational speaking to in presidents, juvenile, uh, juvenile facilities. And I, I tell people my story, mm-hmm. but I say, there's a reason why a gang member cannot get out of the neighborhood because that's what all they know. And there's an example that I took from Deepak Chopra. He says, there was a study made that how is it that people get stuck in their environment and they get, can't get out? And he gives an example that I usually use. Mm. He says that there was they, some scientists, social scientists, use an example of having a jar and they filled it with flies a, a see-through jar. They filled it with, with flies. Mm. They put a top on it, but they made holes so the, the, the flies could survive. They left them there for an hour. Yeah. They took out the top of the jar and they see how many of those flies would fly out. How many you think flew out of that jar? Just one. None. The rest thought One. That, that the top was still on and the jar. Mm. And they unconsciously said, we can't go through it because there's something up there. But ya no estaba tapado. Yeah. That's how I used to live in the neighborhood. The only thing that helped me venture yeah. out was before joining a gang, we used to go get sent to Juarez to go spend time all the way and getting on the bus and traveling. It opened my mind that in the neighborhood, outside of the neighborhood, there was something more because I've been out there to the more. And I used to look at other homeboys. I couldn't get out of it and say, why? Well, of course we had a different reality. They were stuck there and that's all they knew. So for me, I was like, that was one of the good reasons that I got out of the gang. And it's yeah. interesting that I uh, I tell this story. And I used to work at Homeboy Industries. And Father Boyle, what he used to do, yeah. when he used to go do speech talks all over the United States, he used to take homies with them. And he used to take them in the plane that they never flown in their life. They were scared out of their mind. Mm -hmm. But what he did is the same thing that was done to me as a kid that I left LA and I went to Juarez. What he would do is say, there's another world up. And these guys would be freaked out because they never in their life got on a plane, let alone crossed a state line somewhere else. So he was opening their eyes. Mm -hmm. There's something out there. So they won't be stuck in the jar with the rest of the flies. So to me, that's very important. Whether you're in a gang or not is to get out. Mm -hmm. There's more out there. Even if you're not in the gang, I know so many people that, you know, they're stuck. They're stuck saying, all I can do is this. I can't do, I can't be a lawyer. I can't be a doctor mm-hmm. because I don't have no family members that are doctors or lawyers. So it's being stuck that 
Yeah. We're going to do what our parents do, which is work, labor. But yeah, you know when when you mentioned that story, it reminds me of a um, of another one. Um, um, you know, when I was at ELAC, uh, that's East LA College, um, I used to mentor, and I still do mentor. You know, uh, 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 young adults. You know, kids. You like, you know, are you know, between 16 and about 22 or whatnot. And, um, I was part of this, um, yeah. uh, student organization called Mecha, El Movimiento Estudiantil Chicano de Atlan. And, uh, we, we got a bunch of, a bunch of homies from the neighborhood and we just piled them up in our different cars and we took them to the beach. We, you know, we told them, you know what, we're going to take you to a different world, man. You know, and, uh, and we were, you know, sort of like half-heartedly joking about it, you know, but at the same time, you know, being real, like, you know, uh, you know, we're going to take you to a different world. And we went to uh, Manhattan Beach, you know, um, and, you know, we, you know, we brought some, brought some food, soda, all that stuff, you know, we're just, we're just chilling, you know, we're just chilling at the, at the, at the beach and everyone's having a good time. And, you know, and I look over, you know, like to my left and I see these you know, these, you know, these, these two vatos are just by themselves, you know, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to go see what's up with them, you know, hopefully they're, you know, hopefully they're not toking it up, and if they are, it's cool, but, you know, we got to just keep it cool and everything, so, you know, I went over there, and I walked up behind them, because I sort of wanted to be respectful of their, of their space as well, you know, but at the same time, I wanted to make sure, hey, you know, because, you know, because these are, you know, they were still like 15, 16, 17 year olds, so, you know, we, we just, you know, we were like supposedly trying to be the, the, the uh the adults you know and you know so you know i went up i went you know so i went up to them and and they weren't they weren't they weren't they weren't talking they were crying you know and i'm like wow okay how am i gonna you know how am i gonna deal with this you know so i go up to him i sit down i sit down right next to them and i don't say anything you know just like i'm just chilling you know uh, and I'm just looking out at the ocean, you know, and, um, you know, and then, you know, they stop crying and I say, Hey man, if you guys, you know, to get him, you're out. And I says, stop. Yeah, man. You know? And, um, and then they tell me, no, you know, we're just this, you know, this, it's just so beautiful here, man. You know, and, and we've never been to the beast before. We've never been to the beach before. And I was like, wow, you know, because for me, you know, I I lived on the west side for a few years, you know, so I would go to the beach, you know, when when I was able to, you know, I I, I would did school and go and ride my bike and go to and go to the beach, you know, so it wasn't a big thing for me. But but this is this is this was a reason why we wanted to get these homies, you know, out of Islos, even if it was just for half a day, but it blew me away. And what blew me away even more, compa, was the the elder kid. He's like, no one loved us. This literally, no one loved us enough to take us to the playa. And dude, I felt like bawling right there, man. I was like, fuck, man. It, it just hit me right here. It's like man, they're already being programmed to think that they're not lovable, you know, that they're not allowed to, to, to be loved and to love and that they can't see something as basic for us in, in LA to see the, to, to, to see the beach, but something so beautiful as being able to see a beach, you know, and, and man, you know, and I told him, you know, I'm like, you know, thinking, I was like, what can I say to not fuck this up? You know, I'm like, and I'm like, you know, love is all around us, man. Love is all around us. Sometimes, sometimes we just have to close our eyes to see it because it's really about feeling it, you know, and, um, and, you know, I told him everyone here, this is what it's all about, man. You know, it's, it's about, it's about living and it's about loving, you know, and it's about helping, you know, and that's why we're here for, man, you know, and, um, you know, and I just stood quiet and we just enjoyed it, you know, we just enjoyed that moment there. 
And then, you know, I, you know, and I, and I just got up saying, you know, let you guys chill. You know, if you guys want it, you know, we're over there. We got some sodas and, you know, some, some burritos and everything. Cause we're Chicanos, you know, we, we burritos, <laughs> but that, re- you know, what, you know, what you just mentioned reminded me of that. It's like, we're, we're fortunate and blessed that you and I, we did have an out, you know, it happened to be El Paso. It happened to be Ciudad Juarez because that was, that wasn't, is our home. And we were able to go in and out, like you said, as we chose. And a lot of people, no tienen, you know, they don't, they don't have that, 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 or they feel they don't have that opportunity because their life is defined by blocks, you know, literally, you know, uh, a two, a two mile radius. And that is their, that is their world. That's their worldview, but it's not really, it's, but it's not, but what they don't understand is that was imposed upon them. You know, it, you know, it isn't, it shouldn't, it doesn't have to be, the defining factor of, of who they are, you know, and, you know, I always say, you know what, um, Islos is, is where my roots are, you know, and I'm proud of that, man. You know, I'm, you know, uh, that's why I always say I'm just another Chicano from East LA. And it's a beautiful thing because the roots, that's what makes you strong. And at the, on the flip side, LA isn't an anchor because an anchor holds you down. There's a difference between being held down and having your roots that that enrich you and and and, and strengths and strengthens you and allows you to grow beyond what you, what you think you, you you where you're at right now and what whatever society may think you are, you know. So I mean, you know, thank you for uh you know, for, for, for talking about that, you know, because I think a lot of compas out there, they might not, or they might forget that we're not just blocks. We're not just two miles by two miles by two miles by two miles. We're more than that, you know? So, so thank you brother for that, you know? And, um, um, another thing that we have in common is poetry. Uh, and, uh, I, like I told you many times before, man, poetry saved me. You know, I was going down a path that was no good, man. No good at all. You know, and, uh, and this tiny woman, four foot 11, tiny, had the strength of a million of a million elephants and cheetahs and 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 a million suns and moons in her heart and she saw something in me that I couldn't see inside myself you know um and her name uh, is Carol Lem uh she um was a a professor of uh, literature and creative writing at East LA College, and I credit her and uh, Luis J. Rodriguez for 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 tearing out my heart, ripping it out, putting it in front of me, and telling me this is what you are, not not these tattoos on you this is what you are and then they were gentle enough to put it back in put it back in me you know and um uh, and i'd like for you to talk about your experience you know uh with poetry there's so much that you're you're speaking of that is is opening in me because it's interesting that you say that about luis rodriguez because further in the in the in the podcast, I'm going to tell a story that he, he did the same thing to me at a retreat. 
a men's retreat in Mendocino mm. with other mentors like him. Mm. And it blew my mind. But going back to um, East LA College and Carol Lem, because I remember when I was at Lee Elec and, and seeing you and Raul and the rest, you guys were ahead of me. And when I say ahead of me, you guys were already on your way out of Elac. And I was, it, it was, yeah. it's crazy. I'll tell you, it's crazy because being in the gang, drugs, dysfunctional family, I was so remedial and so lost at Elac that I was there six years instead of two years. I was lost just taking classes at Lo Pendejo, not passing, failing. Mm-hmm. And most of my life, I failed at a lot of things. And that taught me something good instead of something bad. That now I use failure as a stepping stone that I learned I'm not a failure. I failed a lot. But I'm not a failure. I used to think I was a failure. Mm. Those are building blocks for me of who I am today because I remember being at ELEC. And I was at ELEC by coincidence. By coincidence. Because at the time that I enrolled to ELEC, I only enrolled to get six, seven units to go back to the army recruiter because I wanted to go to the Marines because the recruiter mm. told me, and he was actually yeah. a recruiter in East LA on Soto Street. They used to be there. And I went there at 18 or 19 yeah. and I went in there and they said, get me out of the neighborhood. I want to leave because if I stay here, I'm going to die. I was a gang member. And he, he, he goes, okay, mm. I'll send you. Where's your high school diploma? I didn't have one. I didn't graduate. And he goes, well, I have an option for you. Go enroll to a junior college, get enough units, come back, and then I could ship you out. So I went to Eli just to go get the units yeah. to go back to the recruiters. But what thing what happened is I never went back. I continued with the education. I continued. Mm-hmm. I remember I had friends yeah. uh, like yourself, Saul, and other ones that graduated from Berkeley, graduate from where they, they would come back and I was still at ELAC. And they would tell me, what's up? You're going to get your PhD yeah. at ELAC. And I was like, I felt stupid. And the key, <laughs> what I learned is yeah. I had to take every class three times. I took sociology, psychology, math, all the disciplines, all of them, all the different courses because I was so remedial. I didn't understand i didn't have comprehension until one day our mutual friend saul he introduced me to eddie estrada and he brought me in and i was a i was a gang member still gang dressing like a gamer like he brought me into his office he sat me down he handed me a newspaper and he goes read it so what i'm reading in the newspaper it's sort of like it was sort of like a out of body experience because I was reading what he was telling me. So what I was reading, it said Eddie Estrada is handing a a, a, a newspaper to his a, a new student, and I'm reading what I'm doing because it was written that way, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. And I'm reading, and it goes, "Continue reading it," <laughs> and I finish reading it. It goes, "Now here's a paper." Write down what do you want to do? What kind of career? What do you want for me? Like, I only wrote two sentences. When I finished, I handed him. He goes, "No, nah, no, nah, write more." So I wrote three, four sentences, and he goes, "You know what? How long you been here?" By then, I was there like three, four years. He goes, "There's a problem happening. I'm sure you didn't graduate from uh, school." You're out in the streets, and of course you're not going to make it here, you know? So he enrolled me into this Puente program that, I'll tell you, I even failed that. I didn't even pass it. 
Because there was a two, like, you go from 64 to 101. I was so backed off. Yeah. Remedial, illiterate, that it helped me. I remember when I used to do my essays, essays, I used to walk into Carol and sit down with her and read it to her. And she would tell me, you know, we're not in the streets, she would tell me. And you write like you're speaking in the streets. You have to write in a different way. You know, because, and she didn't say it in a mean way to say you're dumb, you're stupid. She was just saying, the way you speak in the streets is different than the way you write on a paper. So I would spend hours writing these essays and then I would go back and she would, you know, correct it. And she goes, no, go back. I did so many rewrites. Whether I passed that class or not, writing and writing and reading all these mm-hmm. Chicano authors, it did something to me. It helped me see that, wow, people like me could become something. It was crazy. I, I never thought about Luis back then. I was in a gang. I didn't care about authors. Yeah. Funny story is that years later, I end up meeting him, becoming great friends with him, became my mentor. Once I was out of ELEC. So eventually I graduated from ELEC after being there six years. Uh, I said to myself, I have to graduate because I've never finished nothing in my life. And I said, I don't, Mm. I don't want to feel like a bum, like nothing, you know? And I finished it. But I, I learned so much because then, Eddie got, got me a job working at the university center. So I visit all the universities. I used to help the students pick their classes with the counselors. I used to do what the counselors used to do. Oh, my God. How did, how did that make you feel? I, I, I was fighting myself were... at the moment internally because I still looked like a gang member. But I didn't want to change yeah. because I wanted to prove to society that people like me are smart. Until finally one day I said, Fuck this. I don't need to prove that gang members are smart. Fuck. I, I changed internally, but I didn't want to change. I had this battle that I still wanted to dress that way. But then I had to make a choice because yeah. I was still fucking around when I was going to be like selling drugs and all kinds of shit. I had one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. And I said to myself, you know what? I have to make a decision mm-hmm. that if I'm going to gangbang, I'm going to gangbang. If I'm going to get an education, then I have to do it, but I can't do both. And I, 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 I changed, I left the gang and I tr- started transforming myself. Um, I graduated. I walked on stage. I remember reflecting back, getting C's and F's and all the other courses, English, math. At, towards the end, yeah. I started taking philosophy classes. I didn't know I was a philosopher hmm. until I took the class and I was fucking <laughs> acing the class, debating with the professor. Yeah. And I was like, what the hell? I'm, I'm good at this shit. So it's interesting that <laughs> towards the end of ELAC, I was taking electives because I was done. Well, one of my electives is I took Father Boyle happened to be teaching a class called Gangs in California. I didn't know Father Boyle back then or in the gang life. So I took him and I said, let me see what's up with this white dude who's a priest, which I didn't like him because I never knew him. And I said, oh, these, these yeah. people come in and exploit us. So I took it just to challenge him yeah. in the class. I took the class just to challenge him. I sat in this yeah. class. It was called Gangs in California. Man, this dude knew his shit. Mm. And he was real. When I was in there learning, I had a bias first when I went into the class. I was very biased and very like, fuck this dude. When I finished the class, we became friends. He knew his history. He knew the barrio. He cared for the I never knew homeboy industries existed until I took this class. So I said to myself, where the fuck have I been that all the gang members in LA County know about this man? 
Well, the, the reason I never knew about him is because when I was in the barrio, people like him that came into the neighborhood, I would ignore because I knew what I wanted in the neighborhood. Mm. And there was two things that I wanted in the neighborhood when I joined the gang. And that was to go to prison for life or die. So in my mind, I said, yeah. at the age of 12, when I joined the gang, when I'm 18, I said to myself, I'm going to be dead. I only give myself life from 12 to 18. By 18, I'm dead. And I gangbanged yeah. hard so I could die. Yeah. That didn't happen. You know, uh, I'm 47. I'm like, now I have two new years. I have two birthdays, a new year. And then on my birthday, I wanted death before. I'm alive. I should have been dead a long time ago. So I count it as a blessing every birthday. And I, 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 I live it as a blessing because I'm like, wow, I could have been dead so many times. And for whatever reason, you know, it wasn't my time. So going back to E, like I took the class. I went to go visit Homeboy Industries. I never seen it in my life. I was like, wow. So I, I told Father Boyle, I go, when you, when you have an opening in your organization, I would like to work for you. He goes, okay. So a, a year passed or two, he calls me two years later. And he goes, remember you said you wanted to work here at Homeboy? He goes, I have a position as a job developer. Do we like to work at Homeboy? I go, hell yeah. You know, and by then I was already out of the gang. I was already changed my life. All this, you know, the water was the past. Mm -hmm. But I went in and I learned more about myself and continued working in, in my internal self and helping other people because I saw my picture in the, with the homies working there. I saw the illiteracy, the ignorance, the hate, the self-hate, the sabotage. I saw all of that that I went through. And I was a stubborn person that I said, if, I, uh, if I'm going to gangbang, I'm going to gangbang hard. If I'm not going to gangbang, I'm not going to gangbang and I'm going to work hard on myself. I was working at Homeboy Industries. I got accepted to Cal State Fullerton as a philosophy major. So I would work at Homeboy. Then get on drive from East LA all the way to Irvine in the in traffic time to get there at six or seven for my class. I was about the only Chicano in the philosophy department in the in the class. The rest were Asian or whites. Yeah. And I even dropped out of Cal State Fullerton. And I did it that on principle. Yeah. I love education. I wanted a broader philosophy. I thought they had a bachelor's degree in the world philosophy. If I'm going to get my bachelor's degree, I want a world philosophy. And if you don't have it, then why am I here? What did it for me were the professors. That fucking, I said, fuck this. I'm not going to waste my time in the class debating these. I've been shoved down my throat yeah. western philosophy since we were kids i don't need to learn anything more about western philosophy i already know it so in the classes when i took it it wasn't making sense to me when i'm listening to the professor very very ethnocentric philosophy that i was like nah this this doesn't feel right to my soul to learn a one-sided philosophy I go, no wonder we're fucked up in the way yeah. we think. We think Western philosophy is the one and only. And this is the way I saw them teaching. And I give you an example because what changed my mind and did it for me was I was in the class and this professor, she, was, she asked the class, describe something that's alive in, in, in the world. So... In the class, she had us give us that assignment as she picked us one by one to say what was alive. So the first student said a tree, 
Another one said a bird. When she got to me, I said a rock. And she looked at me and she's like, no. And in my mind, I was very thinking, well, I've been into this in the sweat lodge. Mm-hmm. The sweat lodge, our ancestors say the rock speaks when it cracks and this and that. And it gives you a lot of history, which is philosophy there. So I thought about it. I go, it's a lie. Yeah. A mountain goes. But this woman, she couldn't yeah. understand that. This white woman, because she was a white philosophy. And she looked at me like, you're stupid, you know, when I said that. And I looked at her like, fight, really? So then the second question to the class was, I want everybody to name a philosopher. Yeah. And she went student by student in line. And some say Kant, you know, mm. all these different philosophers, Western philosophers. When she got to me, I said, Bruce Lee. Yeah. She again looked at me like, you're fucking yeah. stupid. And the students were like, I go, that guy was a badass philosopher. He wrote books of philosophy. But what I was looking at mm-hmm. and what they were seeing, it was, yeah. I saw the limitation of philosophy based on their judgment to say, that's why yeah. I, I won't finish my philosophy degree here because I'm going to be fed the same bullshit. And I was being fed limited knowledge. And I said, nah, philosophy yeah. is is study knowledge. It doesn't matter where it comes from. But what I was being fed is limited. And I said, I can't sit through this. My soul can't do this. So I said to myself, I think uh, Bernard Shaw says, he said, I'm going to stop my education to continue my schooling. Or he said it backwards. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop my schooling to continue my education. And that's exactly what I did. I said, I'm going to stop going to school, but I'm not going to stop learning. And I continued learning philosophy. I started reading everything. Well, you know, that, that, that's, that's interesting, though, in that, um, in that they had a limited worldview of what, what, because for me, philosophy is life. It's the story of life yes. or the stories of different lives. And what didn't fit in in their square peg was not real because because if because if if if, if you if you see someone else's worldview that is different from yours then your whole worldview is shattered and and everything that you based your life on is a lie so now what are you going to do you know, yes. and yeah, and that's for me. That's basically like that's white supremacy, you know. Um, and you know, if you know, you you you're attempting to teach them an indigenous, an indigenous, exactly. you know, exactly. uh, 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 worldview. You know, uh, uh, a little bit of indigenous knowledge, a little bit of indigenous uh, ways of being. You know that the earth is alive, you know, the sand, the dirt, the rock, you know, the, the, the wind, you know, the, a little, you know, a little lizard has something to teach you and you don't always have to be on peyote, although it does take you a little deeper, you know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, with, with, uh, with, um, uh, with, uh, mescla or anything yeah. it does help, but you don't need it. Because if you take the time to shut up and just listen, the world will teach you everything you need to know. But for these, for, you know, even like I I agree with you 1,000 and 1 million percent that uh, learning isn't just in the books. Learning isn't just in four walls. Learning is just taking the time to listen, you know, and to do the readings on your own, um, to go to, to go to the Catholic church, but also go to the synagogue and go to the mosque and learn how different people pray 
And praying is just basically talking to your God, whatever you want to call him or call her, you know, uh, you know, uh, for me, like I always tell people, you know, my, my church is being out there in the woods, man, you know, and just, and listening to the trees, you know, and, and talking with the trees because they have taught me so much, you know, you know, and the rocks, like you mentioned, you know, but if you're to say this to a typical white person out there, ooh, they'll look at you as being crazy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, you know, you know, and um, so, yeah. So, I mean, th- thank you for, for bringing that up, too, because, you know, once again, that's what Los Compas Lounge is, man, is to talk about this stuff, you know, because sometimes, you know what, I'm pretty sure there's compas out there who have gone through or going through, you know, uh, in their lives, what, you know, what, what's your path in life, you know, has been and and, and is, and, you know, what my, my, my path, you know, has been and is, you know, uh, it's been rocky for a reason, you know, because all this shit that, you know, that we've gone through is making us a stronger person, you know, is making us a, a wiser person and making me and I'm sure for you as well, a hum- more humble person, you know, and, uh, you know, we're able to like reflect back on things that we've gone through and like, man, it was pretty shitty what I, what I went through, you know, and having to go through these, these classrooms and taking these classes where they just don't want to listen. I want to learn, but they don't want to learn from me. You know, and that's, it's hard enough to being the only Chicano in the class, but being treated like, you know, like like you're a numbskull or something, you know, that's, you know, no one should be put through that. Hey, compas. So this concludes the first part of an interview with Fabian Montes. Please tune in for part two of this interview the following Wednesday. If you like what you heard, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star review. It really means a lot and would really help out this podcast. We invite you to visit us at loscompaslounge.com to share your ideas and suggest topics for future episodes. Until next time, compas, be proud and be brown. That's right. Be safe. Till next time.